President Trump says he feels bad for his cabinet secretary who cut that controversial plea deal for the accused child rapist. The lead starts right now. President Trump today standing by his labor secretary as Democratic leaders call for him to fire Alex Acosta for allowing a rich accused trafficker of children to escape severe punishment a decade ago. She's a veteran fighter pilot who's setting her sights on the Senate majority leader. We'll ask Lieutenant Colonel Amy McGrath why she thinks she has the right stuff to stop one of the most powerful politicians in the world in a very red Trump state. Plus... Well, that's an interesting way to rebut the accusation you're insecure. President Trump slinging more insults at the UK ambassador after leaked cable show the ambassador trashed Trump privately. Now the war of words is having some real world effects. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin with the politics lead today. Despite a growing chorus of Democratic voices calling for Alexander Acosta's resignation today, President Trump is standing by him, calling him an excellent labor secretary. The president adding he, quotes, feels very badly for Acosta. Acosta is under increased scrutiny for having cut, as U.S. attorney in 2008, what critics are calling a sweetheart deal for the politically connected multimillionaire Jeffrey Epstein, formally charged this week with operating a sex trafficking ring involving minors. Prosecutors painting a Vile picture of Epstein operating a network in which he sexually exploited and abused dozens of underage girls, using some of those girls to recruit others for himself and his friends. A judge ruled in February of this year that Acosta violated federal law by keeping the 2008 plea deal secret from Epstein's victims. An award-winning Miami Herald story noted that, quote, Acosta allowed Epstein's lawyers unusual freedoms in dictating the terms of the non-prosecution agreement. And now federal prosecutors in New York are charging Epstein, a move that Acosta, trying to save his job, applauded today on Twitter. But as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports for us now, President Trump, after calling Epstein terrific in 2002, today said that he and Epstein had had a falling out and that he's not a fan. He's done a fantastic job. President Trump coming to his labor secretary's defense today. I feel very badly, actually, for Secretary Acosta. Praising Alex Acosta amid growing calls for him to resign over the role he played as a federal prosecutor 11 years ago in overseeing Jeffrey Epstein's lenient plea deal, a role Trump downplayed in the Oval Office. I do hear that there were a lot of people involved in that decision, not just him. Trump making no mention of the alleged victims. And though he once described him as a terrific guy, Trump distanced himself from Epstein today. Well, I knew him like everybody in Palm Beach knew him. I mean, people in Palm Beach knew him. He was a fixture in Palm Beach. Uh, I had a falling out with him a long time ago. I don't think I've spoken to him for 15 years. Uh, I wasn't a fan. His own words tell a different story. In 2002, he told New York Magazine, quote, He's a lot of fun to be with. It is even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do, and many of them are on the younger side. Several Democrats are demanding Acosta step down. If he refuses to resign, President Trump should fire him. Acosta defended his actions in a series of tweets today and said he's pleased that New York prosecutors are moving forward with a case based on new evidence. Secretary of Labor to say a few words. People close to Trump say his future depends on how loud those calls for him to go become. 
The White House has faced questions about his role before and claimed they were looking into it. It's currently under review because of that. I can't get into a lot of specifics, but we're certainly looking at it. But they never offered an update on that review. The United States. And sources say it was a strategy to buy time until the controversy died down. Now, Jake, today we've seen several of the 2020 presidential candidates call on Alex Acosta to resign. And Joe Biden just joined that group saying on Twitter that he should step down. Now, right now, the president is supporting Alex Acosta, but that could change depending on how the coverage goes and if he starts to see him as a political liability. One good indicator of whether or not his standing in the West Wing is still good could come next week when President Trump, according to a source, is scheduled to hold a cabinet meeting. Jake. All right. Caitlin Collins, thank you so much. As President Trump and Secretary Acosta try to defend that plea deal, CNN senior investigative correspondent Drew Griffin is taking a closer look now on how exactly that 2008 Epstein plea agreement came together. This is the non-prosecution agreement sealed by the court 12 years ago and obtained by CNN, a seven-page document which states the Palm Beach Police Department, the Florida State's Attorney, and the FBI say Epstein knowingly did induce or entice minor females to engage in prostitution and travel in interstate commerce for the purpose of engaging in illicit sexual conduct with minor females. In other words, all evidence the government thought back in 2007 proved Jeffrey Epstein was sex trafficking underage girls, with much of the abuse happening in his Palm Beach mansion. But instead of facing a possible life sentence, he signed the sweetheart deal that said the federal government would not even prosecute him. Epstein did plead guilty to two state prostitution charges in 2008 and was allowed to serve a 13-month prison term in a county jail that he could leave during the day. The federal non-prosecution agreement was approved by then U.S. Attorney for Southern Florida, Alex Acosta, currently Donald Trump's Secretary of Labor, who was confronted by CNN last year only to dodge questions. I want to ask you about the Jeffrey Epstein. In 2017, at his Senate confirmation hearing, he defended the lack of federal prosecution but did agree Jeffrey Epstein's come-and-go-as-he-pleased jail time was a disgrace. He had to sleep at a county jail, but he was basically allowed to move and go around the community and do whatever he wants, and then that became a subject of significant criticism. And, and I am on record condemning that, and I think that was awful. The lack of federal prosecution even more puzzling, given Acosta's record of aggressively going after others for sex trafficking, getting convictions and pushing for sentences of a decade or more behind bars. Acosta's role in the plea deal brought to light last fall by a long investigation by the Miami Herald, which identified dozens of women who say they were molested or otherwise sexually abused by Epstein, four of them willing to speak on video. We were underage. We were little girls. I was 16. I was 16. I started going to him when I was like 14, 15. The Herald confirmed that more than a decade ago, federal prosecutors identified 36 victims were underage. Perhaps most surprising of all is that sweetheart deal agreed to by the federal government was never discussed or even shared with any of the victims. And it's because of that lack of notification, Jake, that a federal judge just February found prosecutors led by Acosta at the time violated the law, which requires that victim notification. DOJ officials are now investigating that plea deal and whether there was 
prosecutorial misconduct by Acosta and his team. In his tweets today, as you've said, Acosta seems to be applauding the fact that federal prosecutors are doing what he didn't do, prosecute Jeffrey Epstein on sex trafficking charges. Jake? All right, Drew Griffin, thanks so much. Let's talk about this. First of all, let me just say, thank God for the Miami Herald and Julie K. Brown, the reporter who broke that story, because if she, and if she hadn't done that and if they hadn't invested in that, this guy would be walking the streets today, who knows doing what. Um, but anyway, today Kellyanne Conway was asked about Speaker Pelosi's call for a cost to resign. Pelosi said, uh, as U.S. attorney, he engaged in an unconscionable agreement with Jeffrey Epstein, kept secrets from courageous young victims, preventing them from seeking justice. Hashtag Acosta resign. Uh, here's Kellyanne Conway responding to that. It's classic her and her Democratic Party to not focus on the perpetrator at hand and instead to focus on a member of the Trump administration. They're so obsessed with this president that uh, they immediately go to Alex Acosta rather than Jeffrey Epstein. Why are you talking about Alex Acosta, not Jeffrey Epstein? Jeffrey Epstein is the pig. Jeffrey Epstein is the one raping young girls. So why are people talking about Alex Acosta uh, as opposed to Jeffrey Epstein, as, as Kelly and Conway asks? Well, I think, as you mentioned, thanks to the Miami Herald and the work of many, uh, he's going to jail. Uh, but Alex Acosta is currently in the cabinet of the president of the United States. And as we know from a lot of all great reporting, he also he's somebody who covered up uh, the uh, disgusting work of a pedophile and a sex trafficker by helping him get this sweetheart deal. That shouldn't be something that we find acceptable. It's con not confusing or surprising, frankly, that Kellyanne is defending it, uh, given Trump is defending it. But that shouldn't be the bar that we accept. And we're talking about him because he's somebody that is rep that is running the Labor Department in the United States. And one of the things, one of the points that I think a lot of critics are making is that a judge in Florida found that uh, Acosta, we, we made this point earlier, Acosta violated the law by not letting the victims, the survivors, know about the plea agreement before it was formally done because the law exists so that people can protest if they don't like it. Yeah. I mean, a big part of the why Acosta is a central figure here is because people like Jeffrey Epstein don't continue to operate without enablers, without helpers. And I think he should resign, but a part of me hopes that he doesn't. So that Congress hauls him in there and says, why, when you had evidence of human trafficking and abuse, did you cut a deal to let him plead guilty to prostitution? This is not prostitution. It's human trafficking. It's abuse. And he continued to do it. And that's why the SDNY went after him. And a big part of this, as you pointed out, why did you not let the victims know? That is a reason why he got to continue to operate in New York and fly around. So I want Acosta to explain why. Is it because he's rich and powerful? Is it because he got bullied by his team of high-powered lawyers, which there's plenty of evidence? Mm -hmm. Tell us why. And so some of the Republicans are holding their fire. They're saying they want uh, the, the Justice Department to con conduct its investigation, uh, figure out if there was any uh, malfeasance. Uh, Marco Rubio tweeted, if DOJ probe uncovers misconduct in Florida plea agreement, those responsible should face uh, consequences. Similar uh, comments have been made by other Republican senators. I guess one question, though, is can Bill Barr, Attorney General Bill Barr's Justice Department, do you have faith that it can conduct uh, an investigation into a fellow cabinet official uh, and his conduct uh, 10 or 11 years ago? I think there's a great deal of doubt that they would be able to conduct an independent investigation, especially when the president has, so, has stood by Alex Acosta just today. And we've seen that Attorney General 
uh, Bill Barr in particular has been reluctant to uh, dis- disagree with this president. In fact, as we've seen time and again, he's very much been willing uh, to do his bidding. And so I don't think that there would be a lot of trust in that investigation. I think the point that Amanda made about the culture of enablers is very important because this is not the first time that the president, when faced, even if by proxy, with a controversy involving sexual misconduct, in this case, human trafficking of underage girls, has been willing to look the other way. Mm -hmm. Uh, You think about, of course, his endorsement of Roy Moore in the Alabama Senate race, even after Moore was himself accused of molesting underage girls. He hired Bill Shine as his communications director, who was not personally accused of sexual misconduct, but was accused of covering up allegations against Roger Ailes and Bill O'Reilly at Fox News. This is part of a pattern where if someone is the president's friend or if someone works for him, Robert Kraft, uh, then he's not really willing to take the yeah. allegation seriously. In fact, he's willing to go to bat for the people who are at the center of the controversy. And Sarah, one other person who has been closely tied uh, to uh, Epstein is Bill Clinton. His spokesman released a statement last night saying uh, that in 2002 and 2003, Clinton took a total of four trips on Epstein's airplane. Now, the reason why four trips sounds like such a smaller number than the 26 flights on the plane that Fox News has reported is because there's a difference between how Clinton is counting these trips because it might be seven stops on one trip, right. uh, uh, not surprising that, he, that he's parsing there to make the friendship seem smaller. I mean, you can diminish the friendship all you want if you're Donald Trump or if you're Bill Clinton. I mean, I think the fact of the matter is the reporting that has come out has made it, it sort of seemed like people who were around him knew that this is what he did, that he liked young girls and that girls were around and no one who was in his circle, and you know, who knows what Bill Clinton knew personally, what Donald Trump knew personally, but nobody who was in his circle of high-powered friends felt the need to do anything about it. And, you know, I don't think we need to wait for Bill Barr to say something about Alex Acosta's behavior because we already had a judge say, you acted improperly. You screwed this up. And, you know, in some ways, you'd think that would be enough to prompt Republican congressmen to say something, but I guess it's not. We're in a different era when it comes to shame, I believe. Uh, Everyone stick around. We have more to talk about. President Trump keeps adding Joe Biden's name to his attacks on Obamacare. But is this a fight the former vice president actually wants? Stay with us. Back with breaking news in our politics lead in a major court hearing on the future of Obamacare just wrapping up with two out of three judges questioning the basis for the law. Their decision could ultimately take down Obamacare and wipe out coverage for millions of Americans. Obamacare also under assault from the left in the 2020 presidential races. Many leading Democratic hopefuls are advocating replacing it with Medicare for all. But as CNN's Arlette Science now reports, frontrunner Joe Biden says getting rid of Obamacare, well, that would be, quote, a sin. The 2020 fight over health care is on, with Joe Biden insisting Medicare for all isn't the answer. Starting over would be, I think, a sin. The former vice president at President Obama's side when the Affordable Care Act became law. Even the Trump administration reminding voters of his connection, today calling it Obama-Biden-Care. Biden is now pitching himself as the protector of that plan, saying he'll build on Obamacare and offer a public option to buy into government-run insurance. I'm opposed to any Republican who wants to dismantle it or any Democrat who wants to dismantle it. That warning directed at his Democratic rivals pushing Medicare for all. When it comes to health care, There is no middle ground. In South Carolina this weekend, Biden singled out one Medicare for all backer, Kamala Harris. 
Healthcare, we strongly disagree. I don't want to get away, do away with Obamacare and start all over and trash it. This new line of attack comes as Harris has struggled to explain whether she supports scrapping private health insurance, starting with this moment in January at a CNN town hall. Let's eliminate all of that. Let's move on. And then this question at last month's debate. Many people watching at home have health insurance of their employer. Who here would abolish their private health insurance in favor of a government-run plan? All right. Harris later saying she misunderstood the question, thinking it was about her own insurance. And she's now trying to ease some voters' concerns about Medicare for All. We cannot go immediately into health care for all. But to your point, it can't just happen overnight. There will be a transition period. While Biden vows Obamacare is here to stay. No one is going to tear down the jewel of President Obama's presidency. I promise you that. And Jake, Joe Biden so often calls himself middle class Joe. And tonight we're getting our first look at how much he's made since leaving the White House. Biden and his wife, Jill, reported earning $11 million in 2016 and $4.6 million the year after. Jake. All right. Uh, thank, thank you so much. Uh, let's talk about all this. So, Jen, let me ask you about the strategy of calling it Obama Biden care. I don't know that that is not what Joe Biden wants. I think he <laughs> wants to defend Obamacare. Uh, that's right. Uh, as he said himself, uh, I think President Trump continuing to fight this fight, this possibly going to the Supreme Court next summer, where the Supreme Court will be ruling potentially on whether or not pre-existing conditions should be covered for tens of millions of Americans, is a gift to the Democrats, whether it's Joe Biden or another person as the nominee. They want to have this fight. As, you've, as we've just talked about in this segment, Democrats are pretty divided on health care. They have different views on whether private insurance should continue, whether they're for Medicare for all or continuing to build on Obamacare. If President Trump keeps going on this fight, they'll be united. People will be united because they will want to fight against Trump's effort to take it away. So in, in April, Gallup polled Obamacare, and it's more popular now than it was when we started covering Obamacare, uh, 50 percent of Americans approve of it, mm-hmm. uh, 48 percent disapprove. So it's not a wedge issue. Uh, do you think uh, it's smart for Trump to continue taking this on? Um, yeah. I mean, one of the reasons where everyone is still fighting about health care is because Obama did not deliver on the promise of bringing health care costs down. And I think it's actually smart for Kellyanne to call it Obama Biden care because Republicans have always suspected that Obamacare was a stocking course for universal health care, public option, whatever you want to call it. So when Democrats are on the trail saying, hey, we might abolish your private health care system. We don't really know what's going to happen. That just barricades Republicans together saying, oh, we cannot go in that direction. That said, in 2020, Trump is going to have to finally come out with a plan yeah. um, to counter all these proposals. But I think like we keep saying like Donald Trump has to come up with a plan, like Republican lawmakers haven't mm-hmm. come up with a plan. Yeah. I mean, there was like a whole shot like <laughs> all this time where everyone was so Other- angry about Obamacare yeah. and no one like thought to like sit down and say like, OK, we need to like make something we should Ten rally years. around <laughs> where we, that, like, we can put forward as an alternative. Like mm-hmm. it turns out people like, you know, free birth control. People like being able to cover pre-existing conditions. People like not all parts of Obamacare, but some of the things that they've been, been able to to get from it. And so when the counter to that is, you know, we don't want to do this anymore, but we don't have anything else to cover you. Like that's what we saw in 2018 and and it didn't work out. And one thing that's worth recalling is in the 2018 midterms, part of the success for Democrats is when Trump was talking about immigration and the caravan, in terms of the congressional districts, Democrats kept their message laser focused on health care and protecting pre-existing conditions. And it proved to be 
a winning issue for them. I think it's notable that if you look at recent election cycles, Republicans on the ballot, they've increasingly stopped talking about or campaigning on repealing and replacing Obamacare because I, I think that they've realized that the counter to that is Democrats saying, well, what's your plan? Otherwise, you're going to do away with access to health care for millions of Americans. And in the first years of the Trump presidency, when they controlled both chambers of Congress and the White House, they were unable to pass, of course, their own plans. So I, I think that Democrats, as Jen was putting, are very eager to take on this issue. That's why they really made it a central plank of their platform in 2020. Everyone stick around. Uh, coming up, he's the only senator who asked Alexander Acosta about the Jeffrey Epstein plea deal during Acosta's 2017 confirmation hearing. Senator Tim Kaine will join me live next with his take on President Trump defending the labor secretary. And we're back with our politics lead as the list of Democrats calling for Labor Secretary Alexander Acosta's resignation continues to grow. One of the first people on Capitol Hill to sound the alarm and question the Labor Secretary's handling of the Epstein case was Senator Tim Kaine of Virginia, who joins me now. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. Take a listen to what President Trump had to say this afternoon. I feel very badly, actually, for Secretary Acosta because... I've known him as being somebody that works so hard and has done such a good job. I feel very badly about that whole situation. What's your response to that, Senator? Well, I think what you should feel badly about is dozens and dozens of teenage girls, middle schoolers, who were preyed upon by this character that President Trump knew. I mean, if he was going to express any uh, concern about somebody, he should have expressed concern about all these victims who didn't get justice because of the sweetheart deal that Secretary Acosta cut with Jeffrey Epstein. During his confirmation hearing, when you asked Acosta about the plea deal, he responded that it was a broadly held decision in the U.S. Attorney's Office, that a plea sending Epstein to jail and mandating that he ultimately register as a sex offender, that that is a good thing. You obviously disagree. Why do you think that wasn't the best deal that the U.S. Attorney's Office could get? Well, even at the time, Jake, his answers didn't add up to me because he sort of was suggesting, on the one hand, it was a good deal. On the other hand, well, yeah, there were pieces of it I didn't like or there were pieces that I didn't know that much about. Three things have happened since that confirmation hearing, and I voted against Secretary Acosta for that reason, but three things have happened since that really shine a new light on this. Number one, the Miami Herald did an amazing job after they saw the hearing and they saw his answers, they dug back into the circumstances of the plea. And they, they, I think they demonstrated that it was a sleazy deal. Second, a federal judge in Miami in February ruled that the deal wasn't just you know, a lightweight deal, but it was also illegal. The U.S. Attorney's Office was obligated to inform the victims of the plea deal, and they didn't. And it wasn't accidental. The court essentially found that they took unusual steps to hide the fact of the deal from the victims. Um, and then the third thing that has happened is these indictments yesterday of Jeffrey Epstein for additional activities preying upon uh, young women in New York. So I was very troubled at the time, troubled enough to vote against him and encourage others to do it. But now you've got a lot of new information that's coming out. The deal that Secretary Acosta cut was illegal. It was secret, and they hid it from the victims. It was a, a sweetheart deal. And in some ways, Jake, the thing that makes me the maddest is when Secretary Acosta let Epstein plead guilty to prostitution, these girls weren't prostitutes. 
they were middle schoolers who were sex trafficking victims and allowing them to plead guilty to prostitution is like salt in the wound. It's no. revictimizing these people to label them as this is a prostitution crime when that's not what it was at all. A yeah, 14-year-old is not a prostitute. She's a, she's a victim. She can't consent. Um, Epstein was very well connected. Friends with Bill Clinton, friends with Donald Trump, friends with Prince Andrew. Do you know for a fact that any political connections with anyone played a role in how Epstein originally escaped serious punishment? Jake, I, I don't know that, but you, it, it certainly looks like, if you just look at it from the outside, this guy was a big, powerful, wealthy guy who got a different kind of justice than everybody else gets. I guarantee you this, there are low-level drug offenders who are getting sentenced by the U.S. attorneys and the district court and the federal district court in Miami for much more significant time than this monstrous uh, sex predator got. And it's hard to conclude that his connections uh, were irrelevant to all of that. Um, and certainly the Miami Herald reporting suggested it. Even in New York, um, there was an effort in New York to get by the, by the local DA to get uh, Epstein's uh, sexual offender registry status downgraded to a more minor listing. And the judge said, are you kidding me? Look yeah. at what the facts are in this case. So I think that there's a, a lot more of this story that needs to come out. And we got to follow it wherever it goes. Whoever was involved in protecting this guy or in what he was doing, they got to have the book thrown at him. Do you have confidence that the investigation, the probe going on right now at the Justice Department into whether or not there was anything improper in this plea agreement, do you have confidence that Attorney General Bill Barr can lead, can supervise such, a, such an investigation in an impartial manner of one of his fellow cabinet secretaries? Um, Jake, I do not have confidence in that. Um, and that's why I'm so glad that the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York has taken this on. I have confidence in them that they'll do it and they'll do it right. The internal investigation, uh, Senator Patty Murray and I have been urging on DOJ, uh, don't, don't just let the Office of Professional Responsibility do this. Let the IG conduct the investigation. You'd be more likely to get uh, uh, something that would be credible and independent out of the IG's office. They won't let the IG's office do the investigation. They claim, no, this is the kind of thing that can only be done by the Office of Professional Responsibility. We're going to continue to lean on them, but I don't have the confidence that if you keep this as an in-house matter that you're going to get the right answer. But the Southern District of New York the step that they took yesterday gives me some confidence that these victims, and there are dozens and dozens and dozens of them, for the first time, I think they may believe they could finally see justice in this case. All right, Senator Tim Kaine, thanks. And I should note that Attorney General Barr uh, did officially recuse himself uh, from this probe because his law firm that he once belonged to did represent Epstein at one point. I just want to make sure that that recusal is on the record, yeah. but I, I don't think your answer changes any. Thanks so much for yeah. joining us, Senator. Absolutely. She's a Democrat challenging the most powerful Republican in the Senate and a close presidential ally. How does Lieutenant Colonel Amy McGrath plan to beat Mitch McConnell in Trump country? She'll join us live next. I sat at this table and I wrote a letter to my senator telling him I wanted to fly fighter jets in combat to fight for my country and that women should be able to do that. He never wrote back. That senator that didn't write back was Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and the letter writer is his likely 2020 Democratic challenger, 
Amy McGrath, a retired Marine Lieutenant Colonel and one of the first women to fly a combat mission in the F-A-18 fighter jet. She's going to run to unseat McConnell in Kentucky. It's a state he's served for more than three decades. McGrath lost a close race for the House last year, but proved to be a prolific fundraiser. She was recruited to run for this seat uh, by Chuck Schumer and others. Amy McGrath joins me now. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, thanks for, thanks for joining us. I guess the, the first question I have is, President Trump won Kentucky by 30 points in 2016. He's going to be on the top of the ticket Next year, you lost a House race in a Democratic wave season. You came close, but you didn't get across the finish line. What makes you think you can beat McConnell in what will probably be a more difficult environment? Mm-hmm. Well, you're right to say that uh, Senator McConnell is a very formidable foe. Um, I think if you think about why Kentuckians voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump, Uh, Donald Trump promised to drain the swamp, bring back jobs, uh, do big things in infrastructure, do things like uh, bring down drug prices. And a lot of these things are being uh, halted by Senator McConnell. You know, for example, drug prices. You know, President Trump has said this is his priority. He said the current system is very, very unfair. And this is important for Kentucky. Kentucky has the second highest uh, uh, per capita spending on prescription drug medication, over $2,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And who's stopping President Trump from doing this? Senator McConnell, because he's bought off by Big Pharma. I mean, he gets $1.2 million in campaign cash in his last election. It's not rocket science. Uh, this is what's happening. And a lot of Kentuckians know this. So this this pitch that you're saying right now, um, which you said earlier today, uh, prompted the Louisville Courier Journal, uh, one of your home state papers, to say that you seem to be casting yourself as, as a pro-Trump Democrat in ways, uh, saying McConnell's the, the reason that a lot of things Trump promised to Kentuckians hasn't happened. Um, is that a fair depiction? You know, I would say that um, I understand why the voters in Kentucky voted for Donald Trump. They are tired of the swamp. They are tired of the dysfunction. Frankly, voters in Kentucky really don't like both political parties. They think that's part of the problem. And folks like Senator McConnell, who have been around for 34 years, are not the answer. And I think many Kentuckians are seeing that. And that was a lot of the appeal of Donald Trump. He was an outsider. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what I'm trying to say. I'm an outsider, too. I'm not someone who ever believed I was going to be a politician. Uh, Jake, I just wanted to serve my country. Right. I, I had this dream. I wanted to fly fighter jets, and that's what I did. And along the way, I met my husband, a Navy pilot, and we got married. We have three kids, and it's amazing. But we both looked at each other over the last three years, like many Americans and many Kentuckians, and we've said, you know, hey, we need better leaders in this country. And there's no uh, better example of that than in Kentucky. So I, I can understand certainly why you're talking about how you understand why Kentuckians voted for Donald Trump in such overwhelming numbers. Mm-hmm. But it has been pointed out that you once compared the feeling you had uh, when President Trump was elected to the feeling you had on 9-11. Uh, won't that undermine the pitch, you think? Well, what I was talking about was the fact that, you know, um, nobody really expected um, President Trump to win. And I was talking also about the entire 2016 cycle. You know, many of us um, were spurred into action by what happened in 2016, the labeling of each other 
as they're all communist or they're all this or they're all that. And the fake news, the divisiveness of our country was something I had never seen before. You know, my husband is a Republican. I'm a Democrat. We took stock of that after the election and we said, you know, where where are we as a country? And that way it was the same thing for me was was looking at, at that tragic event in taking stock of where are we as a country. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I was saying. And I, and I can see why, um, you know, folks might be upset about that. But that's what I was saying. All right, Lieutenant Colonel Amy McGrath, we thank you for your service. Uh, good luck out there on the campaign trail. Great to have you. From shaking hands to name calling, President Trump's new rant against the British ambassador and why he isn't going anywhere, at least for now. Stay with us. President Trump today stepping up his attacks on the British ambassador in our world lead. He called Sir Kim Derek wacky and stupid, prompting Derek to skip a meeting with Ivanka Trump scheduled today to avoid putting her in a difficult position, according to a source. The Trump administration also disinviting the ambassador from a White House dinner last night. Quite the cold shoulder after those secret memos were leaked with quotes from Derek describing President Trump as Clumsy and inept and insecure, but as CNN's Alex Marquardt now reports, the ambassador is getting strong support back home across the pond. With a nerve struck, President Trump went on an early morning Twitter rant against British Ambassador Kim Derrick, calling him wacky, a stupid guy and a pompous fool. This just a few short weeks after the two men shook hands in London during the president's state visit. A trip that the ambassador was an architect of, which he told his bosses dazzled the U.S. president and his team, according to the batch of leaked cables, which included the ambassador calling the Trump administration clumsy and inept, led by a president radiating insecurity. Comments, a British official said today, more than 100 people could have seen. The president responding quickly. Then, on Monday, the president announcing he would no longer deal with Ambassador Derek, that he was not liked or well thought of within the U.S. The president uh, has made very clear the way he feels about the comments made by the U.K. ambassador to the U.S. But top Trump aides, including Kellyanne Conway, are known to have accepted invitations to glitzy British embassy parties hosted by Derek. Politico reported Conway went to a New Year's party, as did then-acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker. The British government is standing by their man, apologizing for the leak and the prime minister disavowing his comments, but saying he has her full support. But by the end of the month, Britain will have a new prime minister, making the ambassador's fate even more uncertain. Sir Kim was supposed to be in Washington until January, so the two options are he stays until the end of his time, or the next prime minister, Boris Johnson, most likely pulls him back early. And Boris Johnson was asked just moments ago in a debate whether he would keep the ambassador if he becomes prime minister. He did not say yes or no, while his opponent in the race, the current foreign secretary, Jeremy Hunt, has said that the ambassador would stay. Jake. All right, Alex Marquardt, thanks so much. I want to bring in Phil Mudd. He spent years navigating diplomatic channels uh, when he was a CIA official. Uh, Phil, Derek's boss right now is Foreign Minister Jeremy Hunt, uh, who just backed him in a debate. And he tweeted in part today, quote, your diplomats give their private opinions to Secretary Pompeo and so do ours. In a tweet directed at President Trump, Hunt and other senior British politicians are standing by Derek. They take issue with the leaker 
not with what was leaked. What, what do you make of all that? Boy, they are in an impossible position. If you say, look, this was leaked, the ambassador was embarrassed, we're going to pull him out, it looks like you're bowing down before a president who's obviously been criticized by the ambassador. If you don't pull him out over the long term, and I think, by the way, the British will, if you don't pull the ambassador out, what are the missions of an ambassador, Jake? They have to have access to understand what's happening in Washington, and they have to have access to influence decisions at high levels, Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense. What kind of access is the ambassador going to have? I think the British will make a change eventually, but right now they got to stand by the ambassador because otherwise it looks like they're taking their cue from the president. The State Department said today that it has not been directed by the White House to cut ties with Ambassador Derek. Could it be that after a matter of time, President Trump uh, will just forget this all? I don't think so. I mean, look, they haven't received a formal guidance from the White House, but do they not read the president's Twitter? Do you want to be the secretary of state and have the president see the society page in the Washington Post say, hey, you just had dinner with the British ambassador last night? I can't imagine the White House would put out an order to Washington diplomatic circles saying you can't meet the ambassador. But the message is pretty clear. We don't like this guy. This is the message from the president. We don't like this guy and he's got to go. I can't imagine the secretary of state not understanding what the president's trying to tell him. Sure. But I mean, wouldn't you be more surprised if the British ambassador had sent cables back home, back to the foreign office in in the UK that said that President Trump ran a supremely competent administration and was a very confident individual and impervious to criticism? I mean, wouldn't that be more shocking in a way? Absolutely. This I saw cables like this coming from American diplomats overseas. This is not uncommon. This story is more interesting in the UK than it is the United States. Diplomats do this all the time. The story out of the UK is somebody who's so angry with the ambassador that they wanted to take him out. That's the interesting part. All right, Phil Mudd, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Folksy and full of one-liners, remembering one of the most memorable presidential candidates ever. Coming up next. Never do anything but propaganda. Isn't it your business also? Would you even know the truth if you saw it? Well, he never won the office, but he certainly left a legacy. Billionaire Ross Perot has died at the age of 89. Perot made his billions through his tech companies, but he's definitely best known for shaking up the political scene in the 90s. His bid in the 1992 election was one of the most successful third-party bids in U.S. history. He took 19% of the vote, although he lost, obviously, to Bill Clinton. George W. Bush, whose father he ran against, issued a statement saying that Perot epitomized the entrepreneurial spirit and the American creed. Rest in peace, Ross Perot. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks so much for watching.